Welcome, everybody. And we're off. We're off. We're back. Back again. I feel like I'm getting back to normal. Almost. Do you? That's good. Yeah. You yeah. look, you know, you look good. You really do. Thanks, man. Yeah. No, I'm serious. <laughs> and people have said, I mean, you're a beautiful man. Uh, Patrick also today, we're at his house today recording and he gave me a not so subtle mug that says wifey. That's on right. it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know like what a, you're trying to say, but that's right. That. I, I actually wanted to give it to you and have you not notice it. Um, but you noticed it right away and either way it was pure enjoyment for me. Well, I do, as I said earlier, I do get confused for your wife. That's right. You know, Stephanie and I, Stephanie and I look very similar. That's right. Yeah. Um, One of us is a little more attractive than the other. And I hope she realizes someday it's you. <laughs> right. So right. this is kind of cool. I think by the time this comes out, yep. baby Gianna will be here. Yeah, we don't, we don't have Gianna outside the womb yet. That's right. Yeah. We have a induction scheduled for Thursday. Oh, do you really? I didn't we know do. it was that quick. That just happened. Okay. Yeah. So wow. uh, if there is no Gianna yet, Thursday, the 29th, uh, I believe this will come out on the 30th, but uh, little Jeej will be here. Little Jeej. So crazy. G squared. G squared. Except G -G. it's, yeah, GG. I kind of like that. G squared. So the um, It reminds me of the days when, I don't know what it is, but women love to talk about childbirth. Yep. And back in my, my time in, at IHM, I swear whenever I walked into Mary Rogers' office, her and like three other women were always talking about childbirth. I'm like, what is it with you people? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to expect, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be, I don't know. We're excited. Are you going to be one of those dads who's more skittish than the wife? I feel like a lot of dads are that way. Like <clears throat> you hear stories about, the women are just in pain and they're just kind of, you know, going through the labor and dad's like, I can't take this anymore. He's going to like faint, you know? Steph got mad at me the other day that actually there's a, a high likelihood that that happens. Um, I had something with one of my injuries, the scar, like the, the scab, it was, it was really gross. It came off. And so now it's just a scar on the back of my head. Okay. And so it's, that was a big thing. But when it happened, I looked and I started getting nauseous. And I like got like queasy and I was like gagging and Steph said the same thing. She's like, if you're in there and you start getting sick and like, I need you to support me. And I'm like, there's a good chance that I might need to leave the room. For, right. For yeah. <laughs> it would be I fun. could see, you know, wives being like, you were here for me. That's right. I don't need to be watching out for you and your weak stomach. Yep. Well, I'm the one in pain. <laughs> She's going to have to carry the team like she has the last month. No, she's been awesome, but we'll see about a week out max of little, little Gianna will be roaming around. It is amazing. I'm life is going to be different. That's right. Life is going to change. Gosh, here we are. Any shout outs for us? Oh boy. That's right. right I don't know if spot. I have any off the top of my head. I would say, you know, our two new priests are doing great. Father Vitold. They're awesome. Father Sean. Yep. They're doing a great job. Uh, I don't know that I have any big ones off the top of my head. I'll go uh, Suzanne Giltner, Steph's mom. She's yeah. just over here. She's the best. She is great. She's so good. Good old Suzanne. What do you got for us today? Well, so today, everybody, what we wanted to do, so we're moving in the liturgical cycle. That could be a good band name, there liturgical cycle. <laughs> but in the cycle of the liturgy. So uh, liturgy, right, is a Greek word that means worship. And when we talk about the liturgy, we primarily mean the mass. There are other applications in the Catholic world. But 
in the readings for Mass, we're moving into something we do pretty much every year, I think. But we're moving into John chapter 6, and we're going to be moving into Jesus' teaching on the Eucharist, which is pretty epic. Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, for our, um, our Protestant brothers and sisters out there, sometimes they, it's like they have a hole in their Bible with John 6. John 6, Jesus spends an amazing amount of time teaching on the Eucharist in John 6. And a lot of people just never, they think, oh, you know, Jesus doesn't really teach about the Eucharist in the New Testament. It's like, um, he does more than almost like any other topic. Interesting. Yeah. So that this is a really big, long section. We're going there. And so one of the things we want to talk about, <clears throat> there's so many things with the Eucharist and uh, it's the, kind of the beating heart of Catholicism. And there's sometimes on our, the podcast here, we've kind of taken topics that are hot topics in the culture. But today what we thought we'd do is, is dive in a little bit to what is the Our Father and how is it actually, it's a Eucharistic prayer. Which is crazy. Yeah. Because I feel like the, the Our Father, especially, I don't know, I feel like it's more the mainstream, like I remember being in high school and we would line up as a football team yeah. in like the locker room and all hold hands and say the Our Father. I don't think anyone actually knew what we were saying, yep. but it was like a sense of unity. Um, and I feel like it's a very, very common, whether you're Catholic or not, you probably know it, you've seen it. And yep. It's like very well publicized, but never in a million years would I have thought it would lead back to the Eucharist. Yeah. Yeah. And the Our Father, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an Exodus prayer. Interesting. And so <clears throat> N.T. Wright, who, if you've gone to Lourdes, if you've listened to me before, he's a very prominent scholar uh, in the world. He, I think he's still teaching at St. Andrews in Scotland, but he taught at Cambridge and Oxford, and he's a big deal. He's an Anglican. He was an Anglican bishop for a bit before he retired from that. But he's just brilliant, and he published an essay, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, probably, on the our father is an Exodus reality an Exodus prayer. And it kind of like really caught fire. People like, how have we not seen this before? This Interesting. Really is. Yeah. So what's your favorite part of the, our father? Well, now or before I feel like now you've, you've dropped a line. We could talk about that someday, but, um, <laughs> forgive us our debts. Compared yeah. Isn't that cool? To, yeah. And I think it'd be really cool something you've touched on that I know about, but uh, understanding like when you, when you say it, lead us not into temptation. Yes. And that's like, a big one, yeah. like why would God lead us into temptation? Is it a trick? Is he tricking me? Is this a right. test? So I think I love that. I, it's, it is, it's one of those things though, very much like the Bible, you can either fly through it yep. and, or when you really break down every word, every line has significant meaning. No, it's amazing that way. The, the word of God is so rich that way. And so there's, there's a lot to the Our Father. So, so maybe we'll just talk a little bit about that today. And what, what we hope, you know, I think if people want to grow in their faith, one of the things I think is important to do, I might be a little extreme on this, but you know, when you go to Mass at Lourdes, I speak slower than a lot of people. Yep. I think the folks at St. You mean Louis- dur during- During Mass. That's right. I think folks at St. Louis are- it's going to take them a little bit of time to get used to me being slow, but it helps me to, to think about what I'm saying. Totally. 
right? And if you if you go, I don't know, I don't go to other masses now that I've been a priest for 10 years. But I just, if I ever can celebrate with other priests, when people say prayers from what I perceive to be a fast pace, yep. it's hard for me to pray. I'm like, what are we even doing? Are we just rushing through this? That's right. Just going through the motion. So I have a, I have a confession on that. That actually Steph called me out on that last night. Uh, shout out Teresa Larkin. Mm. We are still doing, your mom gave me uh, probably four months into the pregnancy, three months maybe. Yeah. Um, the St. Gerard, Gerard prayer book. Yes. And like the nightly prayer. And Steph and I have done it every single night since we got it. That's awesome. I, I think Good I told you, you about that, but I'm like, no, seriously. We like, you know, when you always tell somebody something and they're like, and you just I lie. swear we do it every night. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, okay, I'm sure you do. But like, we literally have, yeah. but I've gotten to a spot. My, I do the opening prayer and then Steph does a prayer for a safe delivery. Um, and hers is much longer. So like at this point I've memorized mine. Sure. And, and I'll get in there and it's like, oh, almighty everlasting God, who did draw to yourself? Say, draw. And you, and I can just ramble it off. And yep. last night, Steph did call me out. She's like, hey, time out. Like, we're in the final, we're in the 11th hour now. And let's really say this with intention. Yeah. And I kind of got, I was kind of pissed at first. Like, judge me in my <laughs> prayer. Right. You do yours. You focus on yours. Right. You're up next. And, but it was, it actually, I think I got mad because it was kind of true. It's, yeah. It was kind of just, just like, all right, let's check the box. I want to watch the Olympics. Let's go. Right. And it, and it very much is when you say that, I think when attending mass with you, I mean, I've been to places where it is just like absolute rapid fire going yeah. from dink, 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 dink. And uh, it, is very, it is very interesting for me to kind of pause and go through it with intention uh, to, to actually focus on it. Yeah. And I might be a little bit too extreme. I remember we've talked about this prior in the podcast before, but it makes me think of Father Jason Wunsch back in our college days when he, we would go out to Sacred Heart of Mary in Boulder and pray the rosary some nights. Cause they always had the church open and it was really safe out there. And yeah, I don't know if they still do that or not, but we go pray the rosary. That's how cool of a college kid. I was, was just going to say, <laughs> yeah, I know. my time at CU was a little different. Uh, but we'd always I see these football it. players there at the, That's, at the church. I'm, I'm sure like, Oh look, like a bunch of people had the same idea. We're That's, all going to go pray the rosary. That's right. But once and I would go out and pray the rosary some nights at Sacred Heart of Mary. And he, he is famous for, he would be like, Hail Mary, <laughs> full of grace. <laughs> it was like, it was, or like, I, you know, there's a temptation at times to be like, did he just have like a heart attack? Yeah. You okay over there, bud? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I, it can't be pushed too far. And I, I might do that. So if, if you go to Lord's and I punish you with my cadence and pace, I think, you know, I, apologize. I, I think yours is a very good cadence. I've never once thought that it's, I, you notice it only because I feel like it's more common to kind of just rapid fire yeah. through it, but I've never once been like, oh, it's too slow. But point being, aside from, from how I pray, I think one of the things that's so easy in all of life is that, what, what's the, the phrase is that familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. And when we get familiar with things, we get comfortable with them. It's just such an easy thing to just blah, 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 blah. You know, I know what this is. Totally. You know, and, and I think in so many things in life, it's, it's kind of like a marriage, I think, where when your spouse is doing, going down a certain road or a certain way of thinking, it's easy to say, well, I know what my spouse thinks about this. I know where you're going and you just kind of put them in a box. Yeah. And, and I think a reverent act is to not do that. 
but it's yeah. to enter in and to slowly kind of allow the the person or the prayer or whatever it might be to actually reveal itself. Do you feel like when you're reading the Bible, I mean, I know you you read a lot of, you know, the NT rights and countless other scholars, but like every time you read the Bible, you're you're consistently learning. Yeah. You know, I think you're always growing and 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 even what you said, like when N.T. Wright writes something like that 15 years ago, everyone's like, how do we miss that? Yeah. And as you go through the Bible so many times, I know like even today's homily, yeah. just saying like, you start to piece things together. Yep. But if, especially I think for me in the beginning, trying to, trying to read the Bible, a lot of times it's from the perspective of like, I'll open up something and I read John, whatever. I'm like, how does that apply to my life today? Right. And you kind of look at it from that lens, instead of kind of correlating the first and second reading to the third and, and all those things that if you're just kind of reading through the passage, it's easy to overlook things. And that's why every time you read it and you get more and more comfortable with the passage, you'll learn and, and you'll start to realize and piece together so much more. Yeah. And even sometimes they're like, they're kind of neat. Like there's both and there's kind of really cool things you can notice Yeah, and it comes alive. And sometimes they're just things that they're not even like a really cool connection but your soul is somehow open to it in a way that speaks to you in a way it normally wouldn't. So for instance, one example that would be with the rich young man. I think it's in Luke's version of that. Uh, different from Matthew's. Jesus looks at the rich young man and it says, and it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he responds and you can read over that passage and just be like, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Or like, you could actually be like, wow, the second person of the Trinity saw someone, saw their goodness, even when they're kind of being a knucklehead and yeah. saying some dumb things. <laughs> and he loved him. Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, you could spend an hour in prayer learning, learning to, to read things. It's a little bit like learning to appreciate Gregorian chant. That's, well, I don't know if it's the same thing, but... It's, it's, there's some similarities, <laughs> my friend. And you, you learn to like slow yourself down and to, to see things, to be patient and to learn to enter into the silence of it. So you can do things like that. Like there's cool moments where it's just, wow, like Jesus looked at the rich young man and he loved him. There's other cool things. Like I'm, as you were talking, I thought of, so in Matthew's gospel, there's five discourses that Jesus gives. And this is something you can read in a book. It's great to read someone like N.T. Wright or other scholars out there. You know, R.T. France has a great commentary on Matthew. That's enormous. But, you know, there's, there's, um, I got a sh one more shout out to Erasmo Leva Maricakis, who he has a three volume commentary on Matthew's gospel. Wait, that's a name? It's a name. It's his religious <laughs> name. Like, yeah. Greek or Latin. Yeah. I was like, he, like, he, he's actually not a biblical scholar. He's a monk now, but he used wow. to teach literature at the University of San Francisco. Oh, nice. And then later in life, I don't know his whole story, but he, he ended up becoming a monk, but he's got a beautiful commentary. Uh, on Matthew's gospel. And there's three massive volumes and he didn't even finish. He ends right before the last supper. What? And I'm like, seriously? Yeah, real clip. So I don't know if volume four is out yet. <laughs> if it is, I'll get it. It's really good. But one of the things you could learn reading a book about Matthew's gospel, or if you spend enough time in Matthew's gospel, you might start to notice things that repeat. Yep. And that's how scholars kind of get to see these things and saints throughout the ages so in Matthew's gospel, so at the end of Matthew chapter seven, uh, Jesus, so the Sermon on the Mount 
is Jesus's greatest sermon. It's his longest kind of teaching in the gospels. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives that parable that always makes me think of the three little pigs, where he says, you know, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man That's right. who built his house on rock and the winds, winds came and the, <laughs> the rain fell and the storms blew and it did not fall. And it just sounds like, you know, and I'll huff them out. That's right. Huff them, you know? <laughs> totally. I swear I'm like the three little pigs. That's where they got that. But anyway, at the end of it in verse 28, so Matthew 7, 28, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, and just that little phrase, when Jesus finished these sayings, that little phrase happens five times in Matthew's gospel. Whoa. And it always marks off a section of Jesus's teaching. And here's, I'm going to do the thing that I'm never supposed to do, but I'm going to do it anyways. Why, why would, Gosh, why would Matthew, yeah, I know. Why would Matthew have that five times? Why, why five? Why not seven? Why not? 12. I would feel like it'd be more appropriate to be seven. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, like seven's the number of covenants. That's and, right. But what does five mean in the Bible? Dang it. Uh, if you're at know. home now, see if you can answer the question. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I have no idea. So the, the reason, who's, so Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and Matthew, um, Five for a Jewish person is going to refer to the Pentateuch. And so the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. And one of the big themes of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus, and this leads right into where we should be at today with the, our father, Jesus is the new Moses, right? The, the Jews in the time of Christ expected a new Exodus and this new Exodus is figures prominently in the, the, the second half of the book of Isaiah, all over the second half of Isaiah, Isaiah is making this prophecy. There's going to be a new Exodus and the new Testament picks up on that. So for instance, when John the Baptist is in the wilderness and he cries out, um, uh, repent, you know, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the highway, a path for our God. He's going to be playing off of things in Isaiah chapter 40. And Isaiah 40 is going to be talking about, there's a new Exodus. What God did in the Exodus with Moses, he's going to do in a new and greater way to redeem his people kind of at the end of the ages. And so Matthew's gospel, speaking to Jews, Jesus is the new Moses and Moses wrote five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the books of Moses. And Jesus is the new Moses. And in Matthew's gospel, he has five sections of teaching. Whoa. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's crazy. And those are the kinds of things, that kind of thing you tend to get more from when you're studying and reading a scholar yeah. of some kind. You don't have to read really dense books. You can read Ted Tree or Tim Gray, that chump. You yeah. know, his, stuff's, his stuff is pretty elementary. <laughs> but, but they'll teach you really good things and it'll make you realize, oh my gosh, Jesus is the new lawgiver. He's the new teacher of Israel, the true Israel, which is the church. So there's a new Exodus. Pretty awesome, huh? That's nuts. That's what I'm saying. Like those type of things, like, man, it's inspiring to try to truly dive into it because otherwise it's like, you're just reading along. It's just, there's so many layers to it. It's pretty, yeah, it's and truly fascinating. You, and I think when you're in the scripture more, it's just one of the things I say to people is 
the the real kind of scripture scholar that all of us should be is not someone who you don't have to read the Greek, you don't have to have read all these incredible scholars. The better thing, Father Brady Wagner's like this, is uh, so like Colossians three sixteen says. Uh, let the word of Christ and all of its richness dwell within you. Hmm. And Father Brady is like that. So whenever he's in a normal conversation, you're just talking to him and he's like, I know I can't hear either. <laughs> Sorry, our headphones just kind of uh, cut, out a little. cut out a little. But Father Brady, normal conversation, like when Americans talk to each other in normal conversation, we tend to think, oh, that reminds me of this scene in this movie. Right. Right. And if someone breaks something, I think of Tommy Boy, where the door breaks off of the car. Yep. And he puts it back on and David Spade, right? Pulls it off. That's and he right. Goes, What'd you what do? Yeah. Or anytime someone puts on a coat. Just, yeah. Fat guy in a little right. coat. Yeah. Yeah. And we think that way as Americans. We that's our language, that's our culture. And you know, Colossians 3.16 let the word of Christ and all its richness dwell in you. And Father Brady's like that. Whenever you're talking to him, he's like, oh man, that just reminds me of Habakkuk too. Totally. And like some of the younger or some of the companions who aren't scripture guys kind of roll their eyes a little bit. No, they don't really. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. But yeah. he really does. It's amazing. So instead of him knowing all these movie lines, scripture lives in him. Wow. And so the more, and I think you can do this, the more that you just read scripture, you will just start to notice things. Right, right. And you'll say, gosh, this section I'm reading right now, it kind of reminds me of this other thing and I, I forget where it is. And you'll, you'll read more and more. And as you get to read the Bible more and more, it, it'll, it'll make you realize, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this. Like a, another great example would be the book of um, uh, Philemon. So, which is a book. I know, Your don't give me that look. <laughs> Philemon or Philemon, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's one of Paul's really short letters. And in that book, Paul is writing to uh, Philemon, Philemon, I don't know how you even pronounce it, but he's writing about a slave named Onesimus. Uh, and uh, which is a, in the Greek, that, that name Onesimus, it means useful. And Paul will play off of that in his letter to, to Philemon. Uh, but one of the things when you start to read that, you're, you might read that book and you're like, why the heck is this in the Bible? Right. Paul's basically saying, hey, I'm sending your slave back to you, but he's a Christian. And so if, you're, if you know what you're doing, you're going to set him free. Ooh. And you're going to treat him not as a slave, but as a brother. But you're kind of like, it just seems like a practical letter. Yeah. And you're like, why is this in the Bible? Well, for Paul, the Exodus is the story of all of, it's a paradigm for all of the Bible for all of God's revelation. And so the story of every Christian is the story of a slave who has been set free. Mm. And so it's actually super fitting to me in the Bible because it's a letter about a, a physical slave. But the story of all Christians, my story and your story, is that I've been a slave in my life. Right. And I've been set free. Oh, that's what I'm saying. That's where I want to do the, at some point, we got to do a, a, maybe it's like a series on the Bible, but like to, to grasp the books and why they're written that way. Yeah. Like what they, the, the context behind it. Yeah. Cause I think you're right. Otherwise, if you read that, you're just like, okay, great. They're and sending it, someone back. One of the things I always want to say to people, like this is why we do the podcast, right? Right. It's part of the reason, at least I do want to encourage people to read. Right. The, 
if you hunger for this, if you're like, I want that, I want to know these things. I want scripture to be alive in me. You've got to put the work in. Yep. And, it, and people think, well, Father Brian, when I go to mass, he's quoting Balthazar and N.T. Wright and Joseph Pieper and then different scripture scholars like Richard Hayes. And it took me a long time to get there. I didn't start there. The right. more important work in my life was I just started reading scripture. Yep. And they were very basic books, like Tim Gray's super basic, like kind of lame, honestly. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of for infants. Yep, there but it he, is. He has that book called Mission of the Messiah. I don't really recommend it, but <laughs> anyway. I think, I mean, I think it's like that in anything, right? Like even athletics, like the Olympics are on now. And it's yeah. like, you're a little kid and you kind of look up and you're like, man, I would love to be in the Olympics or make it to the whatever, any high athletics. I think that's what's been challenging for me. Steph and I are so good for each other because she's so, um, I, I would just say it's a normal practice for her to wake up and read and, and open up the Bible and have her prayer time. Yep. And I have the athletic, like, it's no problem for me to get up and go to work out or do something yep. like that. It's very challenging for me to sit down and have a holy hour. And it's the opposite for her. Right. But it is one of those things. It's and like, I'm the perfect blend. That's exactly right. Yeah. I want to be somewhere where you are. <laughs> and, but it is, it's, it's a matter of actually just dedicating that time and, and truly making a conscious effort to get there. And eventually you get there. It's a little step at a time, but you have to stick with it. Yeah. And, and what I'm happens really is bad you, at it. Like, yeah, no, all of us are. That's the thing though. It's like, this is how virtue works, right? right. Is the, the early Christians, Balthazar loves this term. And I think he gets it from St. Ignatius of Antioch, uses the word attunement. And he talks about how like, right, if you're, if you're going to tune, uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch uses it like a harp. And he says, or a lyre, which is like a early stringed instrument in the ancient world. But if, you, if you're tuning something, what do you do? You have those strings. Yep on the instrument, like a guitar. Yeah. And when I tune my guitar, if something's out of tune, it has to be tightened yeah. or loosened. So it's, so it's in harmony with the oh, truth of like the that. note. Yeah. Right. And, and so Ignatius of Antioch will say that about the bishop. He'll say the, the priests of your diocese, he doesn't say diocese, but the, but the priests of your church are attuned to their bishop, like the, the different strings of a harp. Wow. And, and, but, the, but my point is that what you're getting out with Steph and like with prayer is sometimes like we're not, we're out of tune. We're not there yet. And we've got to be stretched, but that's how you get there. Yep. And the more that God stretches you, you learn how to be silent and be contemplative. And honestly, sometimes it's, I think of this, there's a natural contemplation. So like for you, if you get up and you go out and you're working out early in the morning and Sometimes, or maybe someone wants to go for a hike. Yeah. There's a natural contemplation where we're able to let go of the day-to-day distractions. Yeah. I think of a place I love to go is Waterton Canyon. Mm -hmm. And if you're just walking there, there's a natural contemplation that happens. Totally. I'm, I'm released from all of my distractions, my phone, the different kind of things that are going on in my life, my responsibilities. And I can naturally enter into a place of peace and of sight where I can contemplate what's around me. Yep. Yep. When I think it's so interesting too, with like, and now 
we can go towards the our father. Here, I know but, we're really off topic today. I, well, sort of, but I still I feel like, especially for you know simple things within the faith, like the Our Father, the Hail Mary. I know when I was starting to become Catholic, I was like, okay, I have to memorize some of these things. And I remember the yep. first time I went over to dinner at Steph's house, I have never once in my life said, "Bless us, the Lord," and these I give. Which right. I don't. And um, and there was like I had to learn it so quick, and it just because like I need to memorize this. I want to, you know, I want to be a part of the crew. I want to be part of this. Yeah. And um, but to really then, and so when you go to like confession, and all of a sudden, it's like, okay, say five, our Father, and you get out, and you're like, our Father, we're in heaven, I'll be like, blah, blah, blah. yeah, and like, I got to get my five in and out. But to then the next evolution through that is like the memorization, but then to really try to break it down. And and really understand why it's there. Like, why does the Hail Mary say what it does? How'd that come into it? It's pretty fascinating stuff to like, you have to, for me, I'm working my way there. Uh, but it's just, it's a different journey, yeah. I guess, for everyone. It totally is. And I think, I think like memorizing things is important and necessary. But we can't stop there. We got to go deeper. Right. And so, so let's do that a little bit. So, so we talked today about how Jesus is the new Moses. Mm-hmm. And the the New Testament, and the, in fact, even the Old Testament, right? They expect this new Exodus, a new freedom from slavery, a new place where God will renew the bread from heaven, a time when God will lead His people through the Red Sea and will restore all things. And so, the Our Father really fits this context super, super well. Quick question: Yes, do you think, as a Jew in that time, in the time of Jesus? Yep, and they're expecting a new Exodus. That and now that we kind of start to grasp <clears throat> how that actually looks for Jesus mm-hmm. and what he's really doing, do you think for Jews that don't didn't believe Jesus, despite all the miracles and all the blah blah blah, yep, um, we're looking for a more practical, like definitive Exodus, like Absolutely. the parting of the Red Sea. Yep, and and it it was much more much deeper, but in the moment. You're kind of like, okay, he just was crucified. Yeah. What nothing happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the uh, they're, they're absolutely looking for that. So, so for instance, so the ex part of the Exodus, right, is that the Pharaoh's armies are drowned in the Red Sea in Exodus right. 14. Yep. And this has been a, a thought that you know people have known for a long time, but the Messiah is supposed to bring in the new kingdom, and he's supposed to drown God's enemies and the enemies of Israel in the sea. So in, in Jesus day, that's the Romans, right? The Romans are the oppressors who are holding God's people in captivity. So if you're thinking of these Exodus parallels, the Messiah is supposed to cast the Romans out of Israel. And so one of the reasons people did not follow him is because the Messiah is supposed to drive them out, not be killed by them. Oh, that's always, man. Because that's always something I think about to myself of like, you know, of you course, like if I, if I, if I, <laughs> if I lived back then, I would have followed Jesus. But would I have? Like right. in the moment, you see all these miracles. But if you're expecting and, and you, your whole life has been that and that doesn't happen. Yeah. I would hope I make the right decision. Yeah. I don't know though. Maybe. You know, it would have been tough and people, people missed it and we can still yeah. miss it today, but so um, but let's talk about the Our Father. So, so the Exodus story, or so the, the Our Father begins, Our Father, uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So right in that passage, there's already two things that point to the Exodus. 
And the first one is that people, um, people don't oftentimes think of this, but the Exodus story is the first place where God's revealed as a father to Israel. Mm. So in Exodus uh, chapter four, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh um, and here's, here's God instructing Moses in verse 21. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh, all the miracles which I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay your firstborn son. So the, so the Exodus is the first place that Israel is revealed as God's son. And so conversely, this is the place where Israel learns that God is their father. father. So our father who arts in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the, the Exodus is also the first place where Israel learns the name of God. Mm. And so th- this is, this, we could go down a rabbit hole on this. We've never done that before, right? <laughs> but, but there, but in 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 scripture, this is my own contention. You know, people come to confession a lot, or I'll hear people say that they take the Lord's name in vain, right? And they'll they'll oftentimes say they they said, "Oh God," and I don't think that's what scripture is getting at. Interesting. I feel like this is super common. It is super common. I like. I grew up. I have some of my best friends still make fun of me. I mean, my mom would just absolutely destroy me if I ever used the Lord's name. Like if I said God. Yep. And to this day, it's always gosh. Yeah. I which I think say, is is fine. I think right. it's a good practice. But, yeah. But I also think it was, you know, she grew up in a different time that it was so, you know, she was grew up in a very strict environment with that. But it, so, okay, go on. Where do you. So, so what I'm getting at with this, but this, and we want to stay on topic with the Exodus, but. The place where God's name is not God. Okay. And the, the second commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord. And when the, when the Bible says the Lord, most of you, if you look at your Bibles, what it usually does in the Old Testament, when it's, when it's the name of God, the name of God in, is, in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Yeah. And that's different from God or the Almighty, or God Most High, or whatever you want to say, but His name is different from those things. God is not His name. God is a type of being. Is it? And what I'm not saying, and I always fear people will misunderstand this. I'm not saying, you know. So therefore, you can use any of those words however you want to use them, and it doesn't make any difference. Just don't use Yahweh. Right. Exactly. But what I what I am saying is that we're a little scrupulous on this point. So, so in Exodus three, and this is again, hallowed be thy name. This is an Exodus prayer. The place that God's name was revealed is in Exodus three fourteen. So, uh, starting in verse thirteen, Moses said to God, "If I go to the sons of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is His name, what shall I say to them?" God said to Moses, "I am." who I am. Uh, and that's in the Hebrew, Ea, Asher, Ea, 
this is, it's debated on how to translate and how to pronounce that actually. Cause in Hebrew, this is in the weeds, but in Hebrew, you, they don't show you the vowels in ancient Hebrew. They have vowels, but those are later inventions. Got it. You're supposed to be just able to just fill them in. They just have consonants. Whoa. And so it's debated. This is where you get Jehovah's witnesses is about this verse, but it's, a, it's an interpretation of how to say that name. Okay. But anyway, that's what God says his name is. And he said, say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Uh, and God's going to go on. He's going to say, um, in different parts of the, of the Exodus story, he'll talk about how he did not reveal his name to any of the prophets before, or the patriarchs before Moses. So prior to Moses, when you talk about God, you're using, there's a couple of Hebrew words, Elohim. Adonai is, is the rough translation of Lord in the Old Testament is Adonai. Elohim, El Shaddai. There are different Hebrew names or titles. They're not names. They're titles for God. And the commandment though, in Exodus chapter 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's not God. It's the name that's revealed in Exodus 3.14. Interesting. Yeah. So we spend forever on that, but the Our Father, right? So that first line, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The fact that God is Father and that we know his name is an Exodus reality. You only learn who God is if you follow him into the desert. Okay. Right. You can't really, and in, and in the Bible, right? Knowing a person's name is to know who they are. It's not just to know kind of which, what to call them. It's to really know something about their identity. And you can only know God if you follow him into the wilderness. Oh, okay. So our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We could go on with that. By the way, the name of Jesus is included in that commandment. The new Testament is clear about this. So Philippians two, uh, therefore God has bestowed upon him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. So the name of Jesus, and that's, that's Philippians, that's part of the hymn in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. But Jesus' name is included in the divine name. Whoa. And so the name of Jesus is absolutely sacred for us. We do not take that name in vain. So, so the actual name Jesus. So technically, yep, not, not to get, but Yahweh and Jesus. Yep, and Jesus is a is is kind of derivative of this. Um, Jesus Yeshua, right, means Yahweh saves. Whoa, that's what his name okay. is. Okay. Yep. Crazy. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. So. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. In the Exodus, the kingdom of God is breaking in. They're being wrestled out of the kingdom of Pharaoh and the kingdom's coming. Um, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we could, I could go into all these more, but we got to wrap up here not too long. Um, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. 
and this is what we kind of wanted to talk about today. So Jesus is the new Moses. And the what N.T. Wright says in that essay, he has a great phrase. It is sounds kind of nerdy. It's a little scholarly. He says, he says, the manna is the food of realized eschatology. Right? Don't you love that phrase? All right, guys, have a good weekend. <laughs> You want to, you want to get that tattooed? Yeah, break that down. For manna, me. manna is the food of realized eschatology. What he means by that? So you know what the word eschaton means? No. Okay. Eschaton means no. the the final or the end. Okay. And uh, realized means basically what realized eschatology means is the end things, the things at the end of time, at the end of God's kind of workings in history. Realize means it's here now. Okay. And so, so what's going on here is that uh, the book of wisdom, for instance, tells us that manna had a little bit of taste of honey in it. And the reason for that, this is pretty cool stuff. The reason for that is that when God tells the Jews about the promised land, he says it is a land flowing with milk and honey. Honey. Oh, crazy. And so the, the promised land in the Exodus story is where they're going. It's the final thing. Right. It's the end thing. But the manna has a taste of honey in it because what's in the future is brought into the present. Oh, that's realized eschatology. Okay. And so for us as Christians, our manna, the Eucharist, is a taste of heaven on earth. And so the, the future, it's realized eschatology is brought into the present. Isn't that cool? Wow. Okay. I love that stuff. It's like, that's deep. Isn't that deep stuff? Yeah. So, but what, what NT Wright goes on to say is, so give us this day our daily bread. And we'll get to the, the translation here is a big deal. But what he's getting at is that the manna, and this, this plays into all the stuff. We, we talked about the Eucharistic coherence, me and uh, it wasn't Father you, Sean. Father Sean. But the manna is not the food of those in Egypt. You have to leave Egypt. So the, the manna comes in Exodus chapter 16. Give us this day our, and by the way, in the, our father, when we say, give us this day, our daily bread, every one of us should hear a reference to the manna there because in Exodus 16, when the manna comes, you collect it daily. Interesting. You okay. cannot collect more than and Exodus 16 makes a big deal about this is you can't gather bread for tomorrow. Right. You can only do it for today. The one exception is on Fridays. You can do that because you're going to rest on the Sabbath. That's right. Okay. But other than that, it's, it's daily bread. And so, but N.T. Wright says that, so the Eucharist or the, the, man, the manna from heaven in the Exodus story, they're not going to eat that in the promised land. And they're not going to eat, and you can't eat it in Egypt. So God waits until you've run out of food from Egypt, which in our lives is an analogy to, you're not supposed to eat the Eucharist if you're feeding on earthly things. And an easy way to see how that is fulfilled in Catholic teaching is that if you are living in sin, you don't eat the bread of the desert, right? Egypt is sin in the the Old Testament. To be a Christian is to go on an exodus. It's to leave behind Egypt. And you've got to leave behind, if if you're living for sin, you can't receive the Eucharist. Again, like, so the the bishop saying, hey, if you're pro-abortion, don't receive the Eucharist. That's not political. That's just Christian. That's right. Right, like just because our country all of a sudden decided to have really strong opinions on abortion that are wrong, 
doesn't mean the Catholic church that has taught this for 2000 years has to change its teaching because now it's somehow political. Yep. For the church, if you're supporting abortion, you're living in Egypt. You can't, you can't eat the bread of heaven if you're living in Egypt. Can't do it. Is that good? Wow. Yeah. Which is, I, well, that's a whole, like, a whole other topic there. But that's why I think it's so interesting hearing some of these like politicized comments where it is like that the abortion thing is one of many things. Yeah, it's not the only thing. That's right. Receiving the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing in the sandbox of Christianity or Catholicism, part of the game. Like, yep. It's no secret, it, and, it's, and it's not a penalty. It's not a, you know, you're not living this super strict thing. It's, it's actually a very beautiful thing. And if you do give into the ways of Egypt or whatever it is, you know, worldly things, you go to confession. You repent yeah, it. You exactly. clean yourself of that. And you try to work towards a very Christian lifestyle. Yeah, and, and again, all the right caveats. I struggle to live it. You know, I, and there's, there's times as a priest where I'm like, I've got to go say mass, and I'm like... I need to go to confession. I don't have time, you know, and it's a little different for priests. Pressure to open that can of worms, <laughs> but priests, like we need to be doing our best to get to confession if we're not in a state of grace. Totally. And, but there's times that where priests canon law encourages them. Well, say, say a beg a prayer of mercy, go to confession as quickly as you possibly can, but you've got to say mass for the yeah, sake of the people. Yeah. Um, so go ahead. So in that is in the, our father, is that saying uh, that you should, where did it change? I guess like when you say, uh, give us this day, our daily bread yeah. and other than Fridays for Sabbath. And obviously now it's more Sundays for us, but yep. um, should you, is that encouraging daily mass? No. And here's why. And so, so here's the thing. So th- there's a translation issue here. Okay. And this is where it's like, like a lot of, uh, more often than not, there is, right? Uh, uh, not more often than not, but it- Probably not, but it, it's one of the, So the Our Father is actually one of the hardest translation kind of sections of all the New Testament. There's just a couple words in there that are really tricky. And this is one of them. So the, the ancient church debated about how to, how to translate this phrase. So give us this day our daily bread. It's just a bad translation. Ooh. And we're not likely to change it because- it's ingrained in our culture. It's ingrained yeah. in the way we say it. And it just, it's kind of, it's hard to change the, our father translation, but the, the word, so the, the word for bread in Greek is our tone. And so the, the Greek here and in all the versions of the, our father in the new Testament, it says our tone and epiousion is what is translated as daily, but it does, it just doesn't mean daily. So the word for day in Greek is hemera. And epiousion has nothing to do with Hamera. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I think the reference is right when they're, tra- and some of the ancient church fathers translated it as daily, but I, it feels like it's almost like they didn't know what to translate it as. Got it. And they knew that there was a reference to the Eucharist and the manna is a daily bread. And so some of them translated that just to highlight like something's happening here that's related to the, the manna in the desert. And, and the Jews, by the way, they expected the manna to return in the time of Christ. They thought the Messiah would restore the manna. This weekend, our, and today, today's a Sunday we're recording, today's gospel reading from John chapter 6, Jesus provides bread in the wilderness. 
And the Jews expected that. We have documents from the Second Temple period where the Jews expected the Messiah would bring the manna back. Whoa. And so Jesus does that today in the gospel. And that's where in the gospel too, he says, like he knew what he, he knew how he was going to provide exactly. the manna, but it was mm-hmm. kind of a test, right? Yeah. He says that to Philip, right? He yeah. himself knew what he was going to do, but he said this to test Philip. He says to Philip, where are we going to get food for all these people? Right. right? Don't you love when Jesus kind of messes with you? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Hey, Patrick, uh, what do you think we should do? Totally. <laughs> You're like, Lord, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's, yep. So the, the epiusion, usia, is the Greek word for being or substance. So, so we, we use this in theological language. I don't want to get into it too deep. But usia is a substance or a being. And epi is a preposition in Greek. And so it means on top of or above. And so, so when St. Jerome translates from an easy way to see this is when he translates epiusion into Latin, Latin is more in this word, it, it makes more sense to us. His, his translation of that word in Latin is super substantia. Hmm. So like, for instance, our word supernatural means super in Latin means above. Okay. So supernatural means it's above nature. Yeah. It's greater yeah. than nature. And so he says super substantia is how Jerome translates that word. So in other words, it means it's, it's greater than this substance. And so another, so basically what I'm getting at is probably, and this is still up for debate. There are other translations out there, but I, I think it's been pretty, pretty conclusively shown that the brand Petrie, by the way, has some great stuff on this. But it's been shown really that the best translation of Epiusion is supernatural. Wow. Or super substantial, you could say. So, wh- so help me understand. So in the actual Our Father, I guess two questions for you. One rookie question, who actually gave us the Our Father? And then two, in regards to this, uh, give us Sarah Daily Bread and, or Supernatural. What is that actually trying to say then? That like, give us this supernatural bread yeah so i think so there's two things so it's, it plays out of the so jesus teaches this prayer right in the sermon on the mount okay and so it's in it's in matthew ah, mark okay. and luke right 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 and uh what's going on here is it's playing out of this in the in the time of jesus the new moses the messiah is supposed to return the manna okay and so when you if you're a jew and you hear give us this day our supernatural bread or our super substantial bread, you're naturally thinking of the manna in the wilderness, which is supernatural. Yeah. It, this is not, you know, you have some scholars out there who try to find natural explanations of and they're like, oh, falling. there's this of bread, you know, and, and they're like, you know, there's this weird phenomenon in the, you know, if you go a hundred miles out from Cairo and that's not what the Bible is. This, this is, supernatural it is from god and this they're trying to explain away supernatural things but so so a jew would hear it that way but what jesus is going to get at is far greater than any of them had imagined right this isn't just the manna that was the bread and and we're going to see this in the coming weeks in john chapter six jesus says in john six um your fathers ate manna in the wilderness but this is the true bread which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world 
And so the true bread that's going to give life to the world is the Eucharist. Yep. And so the Eucharist is the food for the journey. And, and one thing, I mean, I'm going to, I'm kind of wrapping up here, but I think there's all these controversies right now. The church is so fragmented. Pope Francis is mode proprio we talked about. And I think there's different ways to, to feel about that. Um, but I, I don't like it when we get away from the biblical roots of things. Yeah. And I think when we, when we understand Christianity is an exodus, you got to leave your life behind. I'm challenged by this all the time. I'm like, Lord, I have, I have too many sins in my life. I need to leave Egypt behind and I need to live faithfully in the wilderness if I'm going to eat the bread from heaven. And we end up, and I know that the liturgy is important. I know that the prayers and the traditions are important. I totally am with that. I understand that. But I think we put such a heavy emphasis on that sometimes. Yep. And all these people who are devout Catholics, they don't think of the, the Eucharist as this isn't just, you know, this prayer is better than this prayer. That way is better than that way. But like, it's the bread for those who have left Egypt who are trying to follow God in the wilderness of this life. And for me, that paradigm makes the Eucharist much more understandable and it grounds it in something where we don't have to fight as much about right. some of these other things. Oh gosh. Okay. So there's going to be, this has to be TBD. I think you made a reference uh, in the beginning, you know, our Protestant brothers and sisters that just have a hole in Matthew six, right? John six, John six. Um, and I remember, I guess I would just love to, and, and I think I've read, you know, all the reports and Bishop Barron has been all over it too, with um, how many Catholics actually believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. Right. And, and, and really understanding this concept of the Eucharist, there's a lot to dive into that. Right. Um, but I also know like the first time I brought Steph, when I was going to Red Rocks, there was a, a praise and worship night. Right. And it was one of my favorite things. When we got there, they had in a little like coffee, um, you know, like the little half and half that like sits at like IHOP on yeah, the, the little in the, the little half container. and half like the little container, yeah, the yeah. plastic ones, yeah. And on top was representative of the Eucharist, and there was like a little shot of wine in the bottom. Um, so you'd peel off the top, and so then, there was like bread inside the container too. Yeah, like, like a little gosh, little wafer or something. Like as a kid, yes, as a kid you had those like Dunkaroos, and it was like you'd peel that off, and sure. there was like a way, or in the yogurts, <laughs> it had the sprinkles. Remember that? Do you remember like on the cap, it had the sprinkles in the top layer? I do, yeah. And you'd, you'd open up the cap and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of that same concept. So it was separated by a piece of foil or whatever it is. And you'd peel it and, and she refused to take it. And I was like, isn't that your Eucharist? Like what? Yeah. And, and, and there's a big, <laughs> there's a thing there that needs to be explained. I would love to explain that sometime. Um, or have you explain that sometime. But... Uh, and this is so random, but right when you were saying this, have you ever had challah? Like the, the, I don't know if that's how you technically pronounce it, but like the Jewish bread, like it's very, very common, especially for oh, Shabbat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They make it, I'm pretty sure it has a flavor of honey. You no, know, it does. And that's, no, and they do that because of- That's crazy. That yeah, just hit yeah, me. That's why they do it. I and mean, it's, it's delicious. Everything in the Jewish Passover meal has meaning. And, our, and the early Eucharistic celebrations are derived from the Passover meal of the Jews. And I'm pretty sure there's yeah. even, you're right. Like I remember, um, I've been to a few Shabbats, but the, there's a, uh, I'm going out of my way out of my league here, but there's a reason behind how many times they twist the bread. Like the bread is kind of woven together sure. and there's a whole, 
I, anyways. It's a liturgy. Yeah. It's a liturgy that's meant to be a memorial of the Exodus and of God's redemption. And right, and what to pick this up again, but the the Eucharist is a memorial. It's a memorial of the, the true Exodus of Jesus who brought us out of slavery into freedom. Wow. That's nuts. Okay. TBD. Hopefully I'm here. TBC to be continued. That's right. That yeah. What did I yeah, anyway? TBD to be determined. Um hopefully I'm here next time. But if not, because Gianna's here, yep. Then hopefully Father Sean can or Father Vitol can help pick up some of this stuff because I would love to still dive more into it. It's so deep. Yeah, those are good things. So everybody hope you're reading scripture. Um I gotta run, I gotta go say mass. That's right. Uh so uh, thanks for tuning in. As always, rant at lordsdenver.org. Uh, thanks for listening. If you find it helpful, uh, share it with a friend. That's right. Help people to, to know the truth of what Christianity is really about and not the caricature. And uh, hopefully they can feel like they can just be part of our conversation. Right. Okay. We'll talk to you soon.